Thank you, Benny, for leading this morning. And uh, good morning, everyone. Okay, this morning uh, we're going to start with an interactive bit. And I don't know if you've ever watched Have I Got News For You, but at the end of that program, they, they have a final round where they show four pictures and it's basically an odd one out round. Uh, three of the pictures have some sort of obscure connection and one uh, is unconnected with the rest and they have to identify uh, not only which is the odd one out but what the connection is between the other three. So this morning we're going to start with three pictures and we're going to see uh, what three are connected and what one is the odd one out. So the first picture there we have some books we have a barn oil we have a bowl of sugar and we have a beard on an old man so does anybody want to to venture a suggestion as to what they think the odd one out might be Sugar? What, why sugar? The others are connected with wisdom. You didn't need my clue. Where can wisdom be found? And yes, traditionally, books, oils, and beards are connected with wisdom. Now, according to tradition, that would be the right answer. But In this case, I think tradition is wrong. How many of us would go to an oil for pastoral counselling? I don't think anyone would seriously consider that. Bowls of sugar are not traditionally associated with wisdom. Um, But uh, when I was in Donegal, in a cafe, I was quite shocked to find that a bowl of sugar is a place where some uh, good wisdom can be found. When I was doing my lectures on Proverbs, I was looking for Proverbs from Ireland and was unable to find any decent ones on the internet. So I was quite pleased to find that there was a bowl full of sugar full of good Irish wisdom. A raggy colt often made a handsome horse. These are some of my favorites. Good men can often be found wearing worn breeches. The quiet cat also drinks milk. And the world can't make a racehorse out of a donkey. I think we all enjoy those proverbs and they all are thought-provoking. Here's a German proverb. A country can be judged by the quality of of its proverbs and going by the quality of those proverbs uh, we're very fortunate to live in Ireland (laughs) well there's certainly traditional proverbs but nowadays uh, there are perhaps other things which are replacing uh, traditional good common sense and wisdom modern proverbs like It feels so good it can't be wrong, or many variations on that. 
Other pieces of wisdom start with or end with follow your heart. For example, there is no limit to what you can be as long as you believe and follow your heart. And it's a piece of wisdom that you will often uh, hear in the media. Other things which convey the modern wisdom are advertising slogans. Just do it. Obey your thirst. Maybe these things are more influential in our modern society than the old Proverbs. So you've probably guessed by now that what I'm looking at this morning and will be looking at uh, in the four sermons I'm doing this month is Proverbs, getting wise about wisdom. So I'll be doing uh, four parts in this short series, getting wise about wisdom this morning. Getting wise about worship this evening. Getting wise about women. It gets a bit more controversial in a fortnight's time. And getting wise about wealth. Uh, So please pray for me as I prepare uh, for the sermons in two weeks' time. They're they're challenging and potentially controversial. So hopefully that will be fun. This morning we're going to look at getting wise about wisdom. My aim is not just to give a sermon, but to uh, uh, share with you some things that will help you read Proverbs and use Proverbs for yourself. Whenever I came to lecture in Old Testament poetry, Proverbs was a book which I had basically pretty much ignored. I'd never really taken the time to study it in any detail. We hadn't really covered it when I did my degree or anything like that. So uh, it was pretty much the one book in the Bible that I'd never really taken any trouble to look look at it uh, for a number of reasons. And we don't often hear sermons preached on Proverbs. But in preparing the lectures, I found that it was actually a more interesting book than I first thought. Uh, So I want to share with you some of the the things I have learned in, in having to prepare lectures for Proverbs, and hopefully uh, they'll be of benefit to you too. So we're going to look at reading individual Proverbs, reading Proverbs together, and reading life between Proverbs. So looking at individual Proverbs, <clears throat> uh, it helps to be aware of how Proverbs were written uh, in the Hebrew language, in the Bible. They would have been written, uh, for the most part, of simply two lines. And uh, there are different ways of uh, putting these two lines together. One, uh, they're called parallelisms, uh, because the lines are parallel, seen as being in parallel. And related to each other. So one of the the ways that uh, scholars have defined parallelism is, uh, on one hand, there's synonymous parallelism. That means that the two lines basically seem to be saying pretty much the same thing. Uh, So, for example, Proverbs 18, verse 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise 
seeks knowledge. So the first line is saying about uh, the internal uh, uh, collecting of knowledge, of wisdom, uh, within our hearts and our minds, and the, the active and external business of seeking wisdom and understanding through listening to others and to life. So they're saying pretty much the same thing. Um, Most of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, however, are probably antithetical parallelism. That is, that uh, one line is in contrast to the other, the, the antithesis of the other. And you'll find quite frequently that uh, the proverb will compare the fool and the wise man. So, for example, 10.14, the wise secure knowledge. The fool's mouth is about to terrorize. Um, Most of these proverbs are my own translation, so they're on the screen. They'll not be quite the same as you find them in your NIV um, to emphasize different things. The word secure there is something like the hiding away of treasure. Or as Waltke in his commentary says, hide or conceal for a definite purpose. Um, And this is contrasted to the, the way that the fool lives. His mouth is about to terrorize instead of Storing up knowledge, he just lets everything uh, spew out. As Waltke says, he is about to explode. Uh, The fool is unpredictable um, and quite the contrast to the wise. Another example of this parallelism is uh, 12.15. The fool's way is right as he sees it, or right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. So it's the contrast between the fool who thinks uh, that whatever he has in his head is right and the wise who will listen to the advice of others. Between those who are self-sufficient and self-dependent and those who are prepared uh, to learn. Not every parallelism fits within these two categories. So, for example, 15, verse 12, the mocker has no love for correction. He will not go to the wise. Uh, So the second one simply follows from the first. The mocker doesn't want to be disciplined. He doesn't want to be told what he can or can't do. So he won't go to a wise person uh, to get advice. So when we're reading... Proverbs, the main thing we need to bear in mind is that we're thinking about the relationship between the two lines. And in doing so, that will illuminate something of the wisdom that is contained within the proverb. And we should be careful not to simplify. It's not always exactly the opposite or exactly the same. There are uh, little differences which make us think those are the things that really carry the meaning for the Proverbs. Now we're going to be looking at quite a few more Proverbs, but we want to think about not simply reading them 
on their own, but reading them together. The organization of the Proverbs in the book, as we find it in the Bible, makes it appear as though it is just a general collection of a whole lot of sayings, which are basically put down together with no order, just completely random in the way that they're collected. So we can just dip into the book and dig out our gems of wisdom. But I don't think that's quite the way that the book of Proverbs works. And often, I think, uh, the consequence of that is that we can pick our favorite Proverbs that we think are good and ignore the rest. But we need to be aware that the Proverbs are in fact grouped by type or by theme in some places. Sometimes there seems that there's a loose connection between Proverbs that come together, but we must also be alert to more developed connections. The Proverbs interact with one another, even when they're not obviously ordered or deliberately arranged, even if they don't appear to be sequential. So we'll look at uh, 20 verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brother. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now we might translate more literally that uh, a mocker is wine. Roaring noise is strong drink. All led astray by them are not wise. So it's basically a proverb saying that it's, it's good to avoid getting drunk. Uh, but if we look at it in context, we can gain a little more. Wine and strong drink is a common word pair in the Old Testament. They often appear together. And mocker is a common character in the book of Proverbs. And we find that in in chapter 20, verse 1, this proverb follows quite closely on other proverbs which mention mocking and mockers. So we have 19.25. Flog a mocker and the simple are unlearned will learn prudence. Rebuke a discerning man and he will gain knowledge. So, uh, discipline is an instrument of teaching, and a discerning man will actually learn from instances where he is rebuked. 1928, a corrupt witness mocks at justice the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Uh, so the mocker is corrupt. He does not have any time for what is right and his mouth is full of evil. Then in 1929, penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the back of fools. Uh, so uh, fools People who mock at justice, mock at wisdom, uh, are on the kind of 
course in life that will eventually lead uh, to punishment. They'll uh, commit criminal offenses and receive the penalty. So following from this, we might expect when we come to verse 20 that it's another proverb about a mocker because in the Hebrew, the first word is a mocker. So as you read through the Proverbs in the Hebrew, you come, it seems, to another proverb about this character who mocks. But there is a twist. The mocker is no longer the person, the character, but the mocker is wine. Now we can imagine the effects that wine have on people when they've had too much drink, causing them to mock and roar loudly. So the NIV translates brother, understanding the aggression behind the words. So the, the words are quite aggressive. And in a sense, the proverb does evoke this image of how people can behave when they're drunk. But the proverb is going further than that. It is saying that it is wine itself that mocks, that strong drink abuses and confuses those who use them. So in putting these proverbs together, it heightens the power of the unexpected imagery. The punchline, it's like a punchline, which is sarcastic, and it is mocking in its simplicity. Another word here, led astray, is not so common in, in the book of Proverbs, but it follows closely from 1927 which says, stop listening to, to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So again, there is a connection between these proverbs. The son is encouraged to keep listening, or he will stray. And 21 says, let those who are led astray are those who are mocked uh, by wine. As you see there, I've, I've used a, an alternative translation, uh, a roaring noise. Rather than brother, because the, the Hebrew there has this sense of a loud, deafening noise. So it is the voice of wine and strong drink that drowns out the voice of instruction. And it seals the fate of the fool by denying the chance for them to listen to wisdom. So if we take strong drink, it can block out the voice of wisdom. We must continually listen to the voice of wisdom and not allow it to be silenced by the voice of the pleasures of this world or allow ourselves to be distracted by them. So here we see that there is the, the tension between listening to wisdom and listening to the pleasures of the world and one uh, will drown out the other. We go on then to look at another sequence of Proverbs focusing on the character of the fool. So Proverbs uses the character of the fool to 
contrast the character of the wise. So in 26 verse 1 we read, Like snow in the summer, like rain at harvest, honor does not fit the fool. Twenty-six, verse two. The proverb is associated by a similar structure: as a bird flutters, as a sparrow flies. Baseless slander will not settle. Uh, so there's a contrast between these two proverbs. In the first one, it is saying, "Let, let honour quite clearly does not fit a fool; that it has no place on him, just as baseless slander has no place on those who are righteous and." If someone is righteous, if someone is good, then the slander will not stick. Likewise, honor will not be compatible with the fool. Then in 26, verse 3, Whip the horse, bridle the donkey, beat the back of a fool. Again saying that punishment is the, the natural fate of fools. It fits them as a whip fits a horse and a halter or a bridle fits a donkey. It's not honor that fools deserve, uh, but punishment or discipline. We'll jump ahead then to 26, uh, verse 6. And here, the imagery connected with fools uh, gets a little bit more extreme. Amputate your feet, drink violence. Entrust your messages to the hand of a fool. So it's saying to trust a fool with an important task is as bad as cutting off your own feet or drinking poison or the like, doing yourself harm. Uh, As Waltkett points out in his commentary, instead of having an extra pair of legs to do your work for you, you might as well cut off your own legs and you're in a worse position than you started with. 26 verse 7, as limp as the legs of the lame are proverbs in the mouth of a fool. So again, it, it gives an amusing image, if you will, of the proverb hanging limp from the mouth of a fool like the legs of a lame man. And in 26 verse 8, binding a stone in a slingshot is as good as giving honor to a fool. So again, you're defeating the purpose in uh, asking a fool to fulfill important functions. 26 verse 9, like a thorn bush, Grasped by a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of the fool. So again, it creates an amusing image in her hand of the the drunkard uh, staggering about, grabbing hold of a thorn bush and getting his hand pierced with all the thorns and again harming himself. Likewise, when a fool tries to use wisdom, he uh, ends up damaging himself. An archer shooting indiscriminately into the crowd is the one who hires a fool or just anyone passing by. 
And then we climax the sequence of Proverbs, it seems, with this very grotesque image. It's stomach-churningly graphic picture of the hopeless state of a fool. As a dog will revisit its own vomit, a fool will revisit his folly. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog revisit its own vomit. It's quite a disgusting sight. The dog brings up the contents of its stomach for whatever reason, and then it can't leave it at that. It goes back, it has a bit of a sniff at its vomit, it maybe gives it a lick, and then it will wolf it down. So that is the image we're being given of a fool returning to his folly. He simply can't resist it, even though it's not good for him, even though it is so repulsive. So we're having a good laugh at the fool. But the sequence of Proverbs hasn't finished yet. We come to 20, sorry, not verse uh, 1, but (laughs) verse 12. Do you see the one wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So here we are, we're laughing at the fool. We're being, saying, praise God, I'm not a fool. We're saying, hallelujah, it's so good to be wise. And then the proverb turns on us. Are we wise in our own eyes as we laugh at the fool? The possibility we have to consider is like a slap in the face or worse. Because we have to think carefully about the authenticity of our own wisdom and our opinion of ourselves. There is more hope, after all these hopeless pictures of the fool, there is more hope for the fool than those who are deluded into thinking that they are wise when they're not. So then the the Proverbs go on to give us an example of someone who is wise in their own eyes. And it picks the caricature, the, the character of the lazy man. So the lazy man says, a lion is in the way, a lion is in the streets. Here we have someone who is using a proverb, and like the drunkard grasping the thorn bush, he is using a proverb as an excuse for not going out, for not doing anything, saying it's too dangerous to go into the street because there may well be a lion out there. In 26.14, the door turns on its hinges and the lazy man upon his bed. So here again we have a graphic picture of what the lazy man does instead of living a normal life. He lies on his bed and he does not move from it, only turning occasionally like a door that opens and closes but cannot leave the doorpost. The world and the experience of the lazy man is small and limited because of his refusal to leave the room and live. Robert Alter suggests that the image here is like a miniature story, in fact. At the sound of the door, the lazy man turns on his bed to see, not bothering even to rise and greet 
the person who is calling on him. And then a third proverb, the lazy man hides his hand in his dish. It wearies him to return it to his mouth. So the actions of this lazy man who thinks he is wise are so absurd that he can't even be bothered to feed himself. So having shown how absurd the words and actions of the lazy man are, we are now shown how absurd is his understanding of himself. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven who return a well-judged answer. So he thinks he's seven times wiser uh, than the best. He rejects the wisdom of anyone else, those even who have true wise discernment, in favor of his own absurdities. The man who cannot return his hand to his mouth to feed himself thinks that his excuses for doing nothing disguised as proverbs about lions in the street represent some greater insight and understanding than that that can be given by the wise. So, again, it causes us to reflect on the proverb about one who is wise in his own eyes. He thinks he knows wisdom, but his actions and his life say otherwise. We must be careful that the wisdom we choose to listen to and live by is not just reinforcing or excusing our folly. But I left out a couple of proverbs on the way through in this sequence. And so we come to our third point, reading life uh, between proverbs. Because in verses 4 and 5 of this sequence, we read, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself may become like him. And then immediately following it, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now this pair of Proverbs has brought some criticism against the book, saying that it contradicts itself. But the person who compiled these Proverbs, I think would have been quite aware of the apparent contradiction between them. He could easily have put them at opposite ends of the book uh, to disguise the fact that they appeared to contradict one another in the hope that no one would notice. But instead, they were put together. Why is this? So should we pick one, pick the one that we like best and just forget about the other one? I don't think that's how it works. Let me give you an example, some examples in English. Two proverbs. Beware of Greeks bearing gifts and don't look a gift horse in the mouth. One saying, be extremely careful when someone is offering you a gift because like the Greeks, 
at Troy, you don't know what is hidden inside it or behind it. The other one is saying, don't lick a gift horse in the mouth. It's saying, if something has been given free, don't worry about the quality of it. Don't insult the person who's given it by examining your horse to make sure it's healthy and uh, not an old nag. So there is a certain amount of contradiction between these proverbs and we find the wisdom according to the situation and, and the gift that is being given, perhaps who is giving the gift. So sometimes we have to be worried that a gift uh, may be more than just a gift. And at the same time, it's not always wise just to refuse a gift uh, because we don't like it. Another couple of proverbs, too many cooks spoil the broth and many hands make light work. One is saying, you don't want too many people to do a job or it ends up a mess. The other one is saying, get as many people as you can to help and it will go easier. Of course, uh, these proverbs apply to different situations. Some jobs, the more people you have on them, the more complicated it becomes. But there are other kinds of jobs where getting people to help might make it easier. And in both these situations, the wisdom is uh, encouraging us to discern the needs of the situation we meet. We have to work out um, when we come to a situation what the best course of action is. So when the two proverbs do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself and answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes are included together. It presents for us something of a puzzle. It makes us think when we are confronted with a fool and his folly. In some situations it might be that answering the fool will draw you into his folly. In other situations, it may be that the fool needs to be challenged and put down um, or we run the risk of him persuading others with his folly. The wise will be able to discern what response is appropriate for which context. The Proverbs slow us down to make us think about how we meet the challenges. We need to remember that fools can quote proverbs, but they don't know how to use them. The wise, however, are careful and consider things before they speak. It also shows that the wisdom of proverbs is not absolute. That is, it's not true all the time, but it's relative. It's true in the right context or more true in a certain context when compared with something else. And no one expects each proverb to be absolute in its wisdom. So the suitability of individual proverbs needs to be assessed according to the situation and a balance achieved between the wisdom they express. In both these cases, the proverbs do not cease to be wise because they say opposite things. Both are true in the right context. William Matthews said, I don't even know who he is, but I like what he said about Proverbs. Proverbs should be sold in pairs. 
a single one being but half a truth. The wisdom of a proverb lies in being able to discern what proverbs apply in which context. So proverbs aren't really for quoting at people. We can perhaps teach them to children to help them learn some wisdom. Uh, But when we go see someone uh, at the side of the road with a broken down car and we can see that the car is in quite a mess and we don't just shake our head and go, well, stitching time saves nine. If you bother to get your car fixed, you might not be in this situation. That's not really what the Proverbs are for, quoting people like cliches. They are internalized principles and guidelines that aid conscientious reflection on where we are going in life and what we are doing with it, how we deal with other people, especially the complexities of life. So if we go back to the other, one of the other proverbs, whip the horse, bridle the donkey, and beat the back of the fool. The whip is for the horse, the bridle for the donkey, and the rod for the back of the fool. Sorry. <clears throat> fool will quote a proverb, a wise man weighs his words, but we're going on to the donkey, and it's not often you get the chance to say in a sermon, don't be a donkey. But that's not just me saying it. It's actually scripture saying, don't be a donkey. In Psalm 32, we read, don't be a horse, don't be a donkey. These have no understanding. They must be controlled with bit and bridle if they are to come to you. The context of this psalm is that David has recognized that he has had unconfessed sin which has uh, eaten away at him, that has caused him to groan uh, on his bed. He hasn't been able to sleep uh, because of his unconfessed sin. And then he acknowledges to God that he has not done what is right and confessed his sins. So in verse 8 he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like a horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but which must be controlled by brit and bridle, or they will not come to you. So the wisdom, the instruction, the teaching has been given. It has been given for us to live. If we are wise, we will listen to it. And we will use it if we are foolish. We will go our own way and suffer the consequences. God has made us masters of life on his behalf in creation. He gave humanity a position of authority. He has given us responsibility over life on earth. In spite of our rebellion and sin, he has never withdrawn that role from humanity. And he expects us to get on with it. We still have responsibility for our own life and how we live. We have responsibility for the lives of others and how we live together. We have responsibility, but what we don't have 
his ability. Wisdom needs to be taught and it needs to be sought. We need to listen carefully for it can be drowned out by the roaring noise of the pleasures of this world. It can be lost as we pursue the never-ending yearning of the heart over the fulfillment of its insatiable appetite. We can get drunk on life and forget what it's really about, forget our responsibility. Responsibility in life isn't freedom to do as we please. It isn't freedom to follow our deepest desires. But God doesn't force us. He doesn't want to force us with the bit and bridle to do us, to do his will. He wants us to, to seek after him, to voluntarily submit to his wisdom and to allow it to guide us. He gives us the gift of wisdom, of understanding, of discernment. So when we turn to God's word, we won't necessarily find in it that it tells us what job we're to do. It won't tell us uh, who we are to be friends with exactly by name. It won't tell us the person that we uh, are to marry, but it gives us guidelines to the right kind of choices to make, the right kind of decisions. And we need to know that wisdom in its fullness so that we can allow it to guide us. At the same time, we must be careful not to overemphasize our own part. Just as we must be careful to deny it, not to deny it, or to deny the responsibility that God has given us. Wisdom leads us to seek the balance. When I was researching for this, I I looked up Follow Your Heart on Google just to see what was being said and looked at the discussion on following your heart, uh, some of which was obviously being uh, carried out by Christians. Uh, Some people were of the opinion that when you're a Christian, Jesus is in your heart, so if you're following your heart, then everything you do is okay. But we need to be careful that uh, we're not just following our desires and thinking that we'll be all right because God has given us wisdom so that we will think about the situations that we encounter, that we will apply wisdom to them, that we will use the discernment that God has given in order to uh, understand and to know what the best choices are. Tonight we'll be looking at wisdom and how it begins with the fear of the Lord. So I can't say everything that I would possibly like to say this morning. So some of what I say um, uh, could easily be taken out of context, perhaps. So tonight we're going to be looking at getting wise about worship um, and how our wisdom relates to, to God and our attitude to God, our relationship with him. But for this morning... I want us to think about this. Don't be a donkey. Um, But use wisdom uh, to find uh, God's ways in life and to follow them.
going back to the bowl of sugar, the world can't make a race house out of a donkey. But we know that God can change us. A raggy colt often made a handsome horse. So we might not be as wise as we had hoped, but that doesn't mean that we can't uh, become wiser. So hopefully we have some things to think about and reflect on. Hopefully that will uh, give you some help in in reading Proverbs and making it more interesting for you so that you can uh, go back, re-examine its wisdom, and think a bit more about how it is actually useful in our lives.